0: Um, Camaraderie um, with them, and so those people can help put this in a way to explain it. The defense, the defendant, has to be on it and talking about it, and it has to. I keep coming back; it has to be genuine. But most of the time, I really don't need to hear from the defense lawyer. This is is about the defendant, and it's if if you believe what I'm saying about the inhumanity of the sentencing guidelines and the humanity of 3553 the best person to tell that story is the defendant um, now I, I I've seen defendants that did themselves no favors by how they got up there and maybe didn't treat me respectfully and didn't own up to it, uh, and didn't have a plan to succeed afterwards, but I've seen plenty that have been good advocates for themselves um, by allowing me to get to know them a little bit.
1: And, and Judge, what influence do, do character reference letters have
0: on your decisions
1: at sentencing?
0: I've read that as one of our early questions. I've had 67 in one case. That's too many. 67 character references are too many. Uh, I don't need the whole community, whether it's a white-collar crime or someone who's been selling drugs. I work with a lot of folks who are trying to become judges in the state and federal system. And I encourage them, people who want to become judges, figure out who the, you know, in the state of Missouri, maybe the governor, um, in different states, it may be senators that don't pick the judges. Figure out their best friends and make a connection with them. Figure out what that judge cares about. If you're a criminal defendant, don't bury the judge in 50 letters that they can't read and then they start skimming over them you know, give them meaningful letters. So if there's somebody in your life that can really talk about your early stage and how you got there, um, I had a sentencing this week where they developed a relationship with a psychologist that really knew them and could talk about that person in a way that said they've owned this and they know what they did is wrong and they've got a plan to move forward. So, you know, five is probably as many as you can really come up with. If all you're going to say is this guy's a really good guy and he screwed up and please go light on him, I don't need 50 of those. A couple of those are okay, but I'm looking for somebody genuine, somebody that really knows that criminal defendant, somebody that really knows how they've progressed through life and how they've progressed since being arrested, um, they can tell me there's genuine remorse and there's a genuine plan to move ahead. In what ways can
1: expert testimony during a sentencing hearing influence your deliberations about an appropriate sanction?
0: Does that have any, any value to you? Yeah, it's it's rare. Um, Most of my criminal docket is drugs and guns, Um, but in certain cases I think it is helpful. Um, Obviously we're going to know about that beforehand because the vast majority of cases involve public defenders and CJA folks and so they normally have to seek leave of court to get those experts approved. But there are mitigation specialists and typically higher sentence, sentencing guideline range cases that can be really meaningful. That, you know, figuring out that they, and where they got in trouble and how they got in trouble in grade school and high school and, and this path that led them down that way. Um, and then what is actually needed to fill in that gap, uh, I think it is helpful. But like I mentioned before, we keep we keep our cases moving. So I need to know about that beforehand if that's coming at me. So I can either watch it the night before on my computer, or we can make the time in the sentencing hearing to hear from that person. Um, you know, if there's there's a little bit of an oxy moron or contradiction, this is the most important day in a defendant's life. And I understand that. Um, I've got to keep cases moving and can't give everybody every day, the whole day. And so finding that balance and... Me understanding that it's the most important day in that defendant's life. The
2: defense to willful destruction of evidence might be that you lack the intent to get rid of evidence. For example, if, uh, if your partner came home and unbeknownst to you, they had uh, clothing that was used during the commission of a robbery or a firearm that they placed in the garbage and you simply threw the garbage out but you didn't know that there was something of evidentiary value in the garbage, you would not be guilty of willfully destroying evidence. Additionally, you cannot be successfully prosecuted for willful destruction of evidence if the item which was destroyed had no evidentiary value in
3: court. The law to profit from any type of racketeering, uh, you know, activities, and then in B it says it is unlawful for any person employed by or associated with any enterprise to conduct or participate in directly or indirectly such enterprise through a pattern of racketeering activity. So, basically, once again, saying that if you're involved in a criminal organization. It's, a, it's illegal for you to act on the behalf of that organization and go out and get you some money. Then C, finally, it says, It is unlawful for any person to conspire or endeavor to violate any of the provisions of subsection A or B of this code section. So, that's just saying that it's illegal for you to do any provisions that's within A and B. Now, we say all that to say, what in the world was Hood Rich Pablo Wine doing? If it's a Rico charge, that means there's more people involved. And in this case is going to be crazy, man. Now, Hood Rich Pablo Juan is extra flossy, man. If you look at his Instagram, you would think that he was on top as a rapper. You would think he was with the big boys. I'm talking about with the chains, the money. Always shopping. And like I said before, man, we're going to see this a lot, man. There's going to be a lot of rappers that are going to be out here getting hemmed hemmed up, man. Because check it. You just had people, mad people getting, getting caught for PPP frauds, trying to do unemployment frauds. I mean, check out the videos. I did a video about uh, Baby Blue from Pretty Ricky. He had a PPP scam. Who could forget Nuke Bizzle, the Memphis rapper who was living it up in LA. Man, dude was doing a unemployment scam. Now, a lot of these rappers are getting hemmed up because of the pandemic, man. It's a hard time for everybody, man. We all putting our pennies together, saving money, and trying to make sure we can make it to the next day, man. That's just what goes down in a situation like this. I mean... The whole world stops, the whole world stops. But man, these cats still want to be flossing. They still want to be getting the money. They still want to be posing for the videos. They still want to shoot videos. And one part of me understands because they're entertainers. Then the other part of me is like, man, it ain't worth it. Because if there's one thing that folks are looking for right now, is folks trying to commit crime. They got all day to look for you, man. They were looking anyway. But now, I mean, there's so many, so less people on the street. So many people hunkered down. You're just sitting out there as a sitting duck, man. If you're doing anything illegal, stop because they're going to be like, man, oh, this fool doesn't think we see this. Like, uh, you're scamming, uh, you get getting money right now. Yeah, it's going to last about a week, man. Just like with Baby Blue, man. From Pretty Ricky. They said that he had, uh, he had just bought the Ferrari like two or three days before that and posted it on Instagram. Man, these folks are watching, man. They are watching your Instagram and all that. And people see when things don't add up. And hopefully, I'm going to give a Rich Pablo wine the benefit of the doubt. Hopefully, he didn't do anything crazy. I'm going to assume the all these charges against him are just alleged and man dude was really a mistaken identity or something of that nature man i'm throwing him some bell man i'm 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 throwing some bell here but other than that man i'm gonna stay tuned to see exactly how this story plays out and i'm pretty sure i'll be doing another video on this now with that this been your boy big man please hit that like button please hit that subscribe button And make sure you hit that notification bell because I keep dropping some of the hottest content on YouTube. And we out of here. Graves. I'm Las Vegas criminal defense
2: attorney Michael Becker. People who get convicted of Nevada crimes may be able to apply to the state pardons board to get their prison sentence or parole period commuted, which is the legal term for reduced. Here are five key facts about commutations of sentence. 1. Commutations are granted on a case-by-case basis and not everyone is eligible. 2. Defendants should consult with an attorney about all their possible legal options to try to reduce their sentences. 3. Defendants can obtain a commutation application from the Nevada Department of Corrections. There is no fee to apply for a commutation. Four, anyone in the general public can give input to the pardons board about whether a particular defendant's sentence should be reduced. If the board commutes a defendant's sentence, the board will notify any crime victims by mail as long as the victims provide a written request and current mailing address. And five, Commutations are different from pardons. A commutation reduces people's remaining criminal sentence, whereas a pardon forgives people of their past crimes long after they finish serving their sentence. Depending on the case, pardons can also restore people's gun rights. Commutations do not restore gun rights. If you or a loved one is facing criminal charges in Nevada, call my legal team at 702-DEFENSE for a free consultation. The attorneys at the Las Vegas Defense Group are here to fight for the best resolution possible in your case. Sometimes on a job application, you may be asked whether you've suffered a conviction. Sometimes you'll be asked, have you ever been arrested? And sometimes it'll say, if so, explain. And sometimes the explanations aren't so good. So not only can we seal criminal convictions, but we can also seal arrest records so that you don't have to check the yes box and you don't have to explain. Um, And so... Really, I think this comes to bear mainly in employment-related situations. Sometimes, you know, especially in Las Vegas, there are, there are lots of embarrassing stories behind the yes boxes. And so um, it's really you know, important that people feel that, that whatever happened in Vegas isn't going to resurrect itself and come back to haunt them later on. I'm attorney Michael Becker of the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you've been arrested in Las Vegas or anywhere in the state of Nevada, call us at 702-DEFENSE. We'd be happy to talk to you about your case.
4: That company for that old debt, you would be better off to pay a credit restoration company instead of paying that, okay? I literally have paid for credit restoration and I'm not talking about credit repair, that's something different. And again, I have a great credit restoration company called Creative Credit Solutions. Again, I'm not being paid any money for this. This is just a company I've used. He's a good friend of mine that owns the company, Justin. And he's amazing and he's helped lots of people, lots of my clients, and he has helped me. Okay? So you want to make sure if you have issues or if you're wanting to pay a little bit of money to settle these debts... Instead of selling and giving them that money, you could give it to a company and they can get all of this cleaned up and get you a really good credit score fast. So there you have it. You will never pay collections or charge offs ever again. You now have the information, you know what to do. If you have any questions with this size, you can always call my office. Our phone number is 888-479-4542 again i do not do credit repair neither does my company however if you have questions or you need access to resources my company we are here to help you and we will refer you to a company that we have used and that we have trust if you need help with this additionally you should not spend a lot of money on this so i'm going to tell you about companies that are very affordable where that i know that they were effective and affordable so if you need that help 888-479-4542. Again, I just wanna make sure you have all of the knowledge, all of the tools, and all the resources that you need to be successful. This is Noel. to your success.
2: Willfully destroying evidence in the state of Nevada is a crime under NRS Section 199.220. And willful destruction of evidence could involve uh, destruction of papers, for example, accounting records if you're being investigated for economic fraud, Uh, if you had files on your computer that were Uh, Relevant to a criminal investigation, deleting those files could be willful destruction of evidence. If there was a firearm that was utilized in the commission of a a homicide or shooting, uh, if you were to take that firearm and and dig a hole in the desert and bury it or throw it into a body of water, that would be uh, considered destruction of evidence which in Nevada is a gross misdemeanor, punishable by up to 364 days in the county jail and or a fine of up to $2,000. Category C felonies would include uh, stalking, uh, grand larceny and a category C felony carries a term in jail of up to five years. With a category C felony, you're able to seek a record seal 12 years after the completion of your sentence.
1: Only prosecuted crime by the US government, mail fraud, right? You'll often see this in white collar crimes. Very common. What is it? How do they prosecute people, right? Those are the questions that we're going to answer right now. Mail fraud is broadly defined. It's defined by US code 18 USC 1341. It means to obtain money or property under false pretenses or to sell or distribute exchange, supply or use counterfeits. Now does mail fraud only apply to mail being mailed out of state, or does it involve the use of any private or government mail carrier, right? The answer is any use of mails falls with under the gambit of the mail fraud statute, like the US Postal Service, a private interstate carrier to commit any crime of dishonesty, theft, all of that will result in a mail fraud charge.
5: I fell on those times, I went when the Boost Mobile, he passed, Boost Mobile Store crash. I mean, Boost Mobile Store launch, I'm going through depression, lose relationship, lose the Boost Mobile Store. I fall on hard times. I went start working at a warehouse. Wow. Yeah. Right? You go from all that to working at a warehouse. That's humbling. I go
6: from. Yo, there's nothing worse. It, it's bad to be down. Mm hmm. But nothing worse than to go up and then come down.
5: Yo. That's tough. I go from living in a condo in Alpharetta, driving a. G-Class Benz truck AMG to a 1996 Mercury Cougar mm. working at a warehouse living in my sister's house with five kids. At the time she had five kids in the three bedroom. Four bedroom. I, I made it uncomfortable. Yeah. I made the living uncomfortable. Yeah. I didn't even have a bedroom set. I had an airbed. The mercury cooler, the door did open from the inside. I had to open it from the outside. Mm. Listen to me. That's when I said, and I knew it looking back. <laughs> Yo, you finna get the bar. I've never, I was going through depression and didn't know it. You know how I found out? I'm working at a warehouse and I go, <clears throat> why am I here? Once again, I'm poor hustling. I wanted to, they were gonna fire me. I needed to make it to Christmas because we get Christmas bonus. It's like a $2,000 check, yeah. right? I said, how do I do it? Thinking I go and I call, I know the next day they're gonna fire me. So I call psychiatric uh, hospital to insurance and say, I'm thinking about hurting somebody. They go, are you thinking about hurting yourself? I go, no, I'm thinking about hurting my manager. So they go, okay, let's cut me in for a psych evaluation. I go, what happened? I go, yo, listen, I'm just randomly crying, having outbreaks, real emotional, and it's just like, I don't know why it's always him as a person, like when I'm dreaming, it's him that I'm seeing on myself, punching and like physically attacking. I don't know what it is. was like, well, what kind of hours you working? I'm working 60 hours a week. Boom, boom, boom. She take me off work that day they were going to fire me that night, mm. but I've talked myself so much into this story to get out of work, they made me go to counseling. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> That's funny. in counseling I find my depression Wow! of what I was going through, where I was at, mind state, what I didn't deal with.
6: What did you find out about yourself through counseling?
5: Through the traumas that I was living through, I've never dealt with them. I was uncomfortable even talking about my best friend. Like, I've made it to where it didn't exist. So, They taught me and I remember she was like giving me different exercises. And she had to make me comfortable even speaking and acknowledging what happened. Things that happened. It's okay. It's part of life. That I had to cope with that. With the fact that that relationship I had is gone. So after that
6: you had to deal with it head on.
5: Boom. Wow. So then I realized, it took me a little while, I went back, and um, when I went back to that job, kicked in and said, why are you even here? I got the bonus. Mm-hmm. Got the crystal ball right. I That's came right. back a week before. Right. I got the bonus. Right? <laughs> right? Listen, they were upset. Right? Shout out to ABW out there in Kennesaw. Yeah, I got the check. <laughs> right? Um, I went and I said, "Why am I even here?" I went to apply for Wells Fargo. I became personal banker.
6: Guys, from warehouse, personal
5: banker. Got back in my suit got it right right <laughs> so, back to the old you so i got back in my suit yeah <laughs> so uh i got back in the suit um and that's when i started learning banking products i started learning that people couldn't get approved for business loans they couldn't get approved for loans at all like the the ratio for people who get loans mm-hmm. i was giving loans to people who i would look and they would have like a two million dollar mortgage what yeah they will have a two million dollar mortgage they can come and get a loan oh you got a oh you got two hundred thousand yeah nah you can't get nothing hold on a two million dollar mortgage yeah no listen i was working in roswell wells fargo right people will come in they have two million dollar mortgages they will be able to come in and go Looking for a personal loan? They can come and get th-
2: what distinguishes incest from sexual assault is that for sexual assault, the state would have to prove that the sex was non consensual. But for incest, even consensual sex is considered a crime in the state of Nevada if it's an incestuous relationship. Ostensibly, the state chooses to regulate it as a morality issue, and to prevent imbraiding and increased risk of birth defect.
7: Compact, sedan, and they just find out when you get there. Right, right. Turo, you get to choose a car, no hidden fees, everything is clear as day. Mm-hmm. So that was the benefit. So with me, I was driving my, this is how it happens. Justin, new ACL, I got a rental car. I'm like man, I don't care what car it is. I got a little small Ford like the small little. I think it was a Forte. I don't know what it's called. A small car.
2: Right. I had
7: a meeting with Justin Owens, new CEO. I went to Target to go drop. We parked in Target. I went to the car. He hopped in his car. What car? It was an S550. I hopped in my, my um, little small Ford. He clowned the heck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> like, Cause
6: y'all about the same well, height too.
7: And he knows how much money I make. Right. He knows what I can afford. He was clowning me like, bro, why are you in that car? Right. Like, why does it matter? Right. We just need to get to point A point B. Nobody cares. Everybody knows I got it. Why does it matter? But he said, he grew me so much, on my, my whole ride home, I was like, man, I'm about to get in the car. <laughs> I'm tired of this, driving this. I'm tired of having to explain myself. <laughs> That's how I ended up getting the testimony. So that's uh, the question: Why wouldn't somebody not just um, rent a car from Hertz or Budget or traditional rental car mm-hmm. company versus Turo, because you have
6: more options for nicer cars? Gotcha, gotcha. What about credit checks and credit cards? I know you. Sometimes I, there was a point in my life where you're so you say, "Okay, I'm gonna go get I'm gonna get a rental car," but you never know what they're gonna ask for. Yeah, it's exactly. Like it, yo, that, my heart always You pops. don't know if you're gonna
7: get it. If you're gonna get they it need exactly. credit
3: card. Yeah,
7: yeah, I mean? yeah. So yeah. with Turo, you don't need to have a credit card. That's another benefit of it. Or the platforms like Turo, even a personal booking, all oh, depends on how somebody wants to run their business. But usually with a traditional, you have to be a certain age, mm. you have to put it on a certain deposit, it, certain credit, uh, what else do they need? Sometimes you have to have a flight ticket. To prove that you're not a true, local, true, true, true. Like there's true. certain car, Of course, they do it to protect your business. I understand, yeah. but some people don't have those options, so they need other options to be able to get a car to run out.
6: Gotcha. So, so they really, really Toro, they'll let anybody who has a driver's of license. They,
7: of course, they go through background checks. Of course, there's a a, a a vetting process. Of course, all that, and of course, the car's insured, but it's not as Difficult as gotcha. the traditional gotcha. rental car. Gotcha,
6: gotcha. And you can just find what you like. Make like right. something nice. Gotcha. That's the key
7: piece. Gotcha. It's the options. I got better so,
6: options. So income potential. Walk me through income potential. Income
7: potential. Depending on what car you have, it always falls around anywhere. Cash flowing. This is net profit. Cash flowing anywhere from $300 a month to even upwards of what I was making, $3,000 per car. Mm, My Corvette right. was averaging $1,600. My, my Tesla was averaging 2,600. Um, profit, plus, Profit, expenses. profit, profit, profit. This is literally profit. Mm. Um, my, my C300, it didn't perform as well. It was probably in the, the $800 range. Mm. So, all, but, but me, I have my receipts. So mm. I the show people. Cash flow is
6: people. cash flow though. Cash that flow is cash gracious. flow.
7: So you then compare your cash flow to the amount of time that it takes to manage the operation. So with me, I did it all by myself. I then hired one of my brothers at church to help me out with the check ins and checkouts. But it wasn't labor intensive. I was still able to do my real business, my marketing mm. agency. I was still able to do the things that I really enjoy going to church, hosting Bible studies while managing these three cars. Yeah. And I realized that the cars that I had leveraged the marketing deals that I was actually closing. And I told people, yeah, I own a car rental company, small, small fleet, three cars, I got a Corvette, Maserati, C three hundred. They were so amazed at the fact that I was in this business that they weren't even thinking about the marketing no more. They was just signing the deal. Oh, right, tell me right. about the Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about that story that you told me. Right. How do I get in this? It was so it was amazing leverage.
6: Where do we where do you keep? All these cars. All right, right. This is
7: crazy. That's a good question. So initially, remember where I was keeping my cars? Target. Yes. Once I went from three and I turned up, I was parking the cars. I was trying to park the cars at Target. The Target um, general manager called me and said, this is Matthew. Are you the one who has all these cars on my lot? He said, "Yeah, you, you gotta move them." So, You're OD'ing right now. I, I, I did the most. I, I forced <laughs> You're OD'ing right now. I was getting away with the three cars, but as soon as I try to bring them all there, then now I was like, "All right, I'll move them." Can Can you give me like a week to figure it out? He mm-hmm. said, "He was cool. He was super cool. Cool, I'll give you a week." I think it was during it was, it was it was during a big weekend where they need they definitely needed the space. Huh. And now my cars are a big attraction. Everybody was taking pictures. You can see on the cameras. They showed me. Everybody was going around the cars, taking pictures near the cars, all that crazy stuff. So I had to figure it out. I had to move all my cars to my apartment, one of my other apartments in Norcross. I got a picture of it. All my cars lined up in all the parking spaces. I got away from it for two weeks until they called me and said, you got to move these cars. (laughs) By God's grace, by God's grace, As I was posting, every time I got a new car, I posted on my Instagram, like, look, I got another car.
2: In terms of the severity of penalty, possession would be the least serious narcotic offense. Then would come possession for sales of narcotics would be more serious. Then actual sales of narcotics and finally trafficking of narcotics. And in essence the penalties go up like steps uh, with each level of narcotics possession Nevada narcotics laws are actually the harshest in the country and even sale of a small quantity of narcotics can subject an individual to substantial periods of incarceration as a matter of fact under the Nevada trafficking law sale of more than 28 grams of a controlled narcotic can subject an individual to life in prison upon conviction. Uh, although the the statutes are broken up into uh, possession, uh, possession for sale, sale of narcotics and trafficking laws, uh, because uh, the amounts in to be considered trafficking in Nevada are so low. As a matter of fact, four grams or higher can can constitute trafficking in Nevada. Um, if you're charged for trafficking, you know, you really need to obtain counsel because the penalties are very harsh here. The good news with regard to narcotics laws in the state of Nevada is, although the laws themselves are very harsh. Typically, prosecuting agencies are fairly reasonable about negotiating resolutions in these cases. For example, um, one case that got a substantial amount of media attention was when Paris Hilton was arrested for possessing cocaine and um, it was originally a felony charge. There was a lot of immediate immediate attention. Other celebrities and and certainly a lot of people that aren't famous, you know, go to Nevada, specifically Las Vegas, to to have a good time, to party, uh, and choose to engage in narcotic activity. Um, Most often, although the penalties uh, are severe, For a simple possession of narcotics, it's very common to be able to negotiate a resolution that involves a plea to a misdemeanor offense so that uh, a fun time in Las Vegas on the weekend doesn't necessarily turn into a lifetime of uh, difficulty uh, and a, a felony record. I'm attorney Michael Becker with the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you or a loved one has been charged with a criminal offense in Las Vegas or throughout the state of Nevada, trust in me and my legal team to get your case dismissed or otherwise negotiate a resolution that causes minimal harm to you and your future. The penalties depend on whether or not you have priors. For a first-time offense, it would be treated the same as a DUI, alcohol. A uh, Minimum two days in jail, up to six months in jail. Uh, for a second time offense, it's a minimum of 10 days in jail. And for a third time offense, within seven years, you're looking at a felony with a minimum one year in state prison. Additionally, you would be required to do a DUI class, which you could do online you'd be required to attend a victim impact program, and you'd be required to pay fines and fees. Here in the state of Nevada, if you've been in an accident while driving with a prohibited substance, including marijuana, and someone's been injured, the penalties go up substantially. And you're looking at up to 20 years in state prison If you were in a DUI marijuana related accident where somebody was injured. Yo, no, I need an ambulance over here. No, this is it upstairs?
8: Yo, no. that shit's upstairs. Oh, I think they out here.
6: What's he have on? That shit's upstairs, though. She so made her head upstairs. I'm in the I'm in the, the, the room. Room. I'm in the
7: this is the Greenville. they we got Hey,
3: yeah. Hey, yeah. Somebody upstairs. Come
6: on, you good? Yeah. Everybody, everybody upstairs? Anybody up there? I up somebody Anybody That's Nobody else. Why guys?
7: Hey, I need a boss over here. I got somebody hit. I need a boss over here. I got somebody hit. I got somebody. Hit. Out, guys? Open up. here? I got somebody in back. Here. 내려ato, guys? What's up?
4: Okay, I got somebody there. there, Come on,
9: Popular hip-hop podcaster arrested in connection with the deadly shooting at Irving Plaza last May, faced a judge today.
2: All right, as Lisa Everett shows us, federal prosecutors think they've got more than enough evidence to prove that he is the trigger man.
9: There were some stunning claims in a case here at federal court that has disturbed many in New York's hip-hop community. A federal prosecutor says a popular podcast host known for shooting off his mouth was also shooting off a gun inside Irving Plaza last May, but his attorney denies the charges. 31-year-old Daryl Campbell, better known as Multimedia Personality Tax Stone, went before a judge in federal court to be arraigned on two federal gun charges, including gun possession by a convicted felon. His attorney, Kenneth J. Montgomery, told me outside the courthouse, Campbell is not guilty. We deny all those charges. In court papers, federal prosecutors say DNA retrieved from the Caltech 9-millimeter handgun on the grip... The magazine and the trigger indicate it was Campbell's weapon and that he fired the shots that wounded rapper Troy Av and two others and killed Troy Av's bodyguard, Ronald Banga McFatter, last May. Montgomery says there's more to all of this. Obviously, there's going to be discovery turned over and more facts and perhaps
7: 3,500 materials in the federal system. So I'm going to reserve any comments about facts until the appropriate time
9: prosecutors say Troy Ave picked up the gun after being shot and that it's the one we see him allegedly holding in the video released by the NYPD. In court the pro- There are
2: a variety of circumstances in which self-defense may become an issue in a criminal case. Uh, it could be a situation where somebody uses deadly force and they've killed somebody and The defendant is claiming I use that force to protect myself or to protect somebody else because under the law in the state of Nevada you have the same right to defend yourself as you do to use self-defense to defend somebody else who's in a position of vulnerability. Additionally under the law in the state of Nevada you have the right to use deadly force against a burglar that comes into your home with the intent to commit a felony or cause substantial bodily harm to somebody. We represent a lot of people involved in disturbances, fist fights, often alcohol is a factor but it's very common in Las Vegas people are coming to have a good time and sometimes you know things get out of hand uh, and people get into fights when they're out trying to have a good time Um, it's not uncommon in those situations for the police to come and just arrest everybody and charge everybody with a crime Uh, however There's nothing in the law that says that you have to tolerate someone else's abuse. So if somebody else is physically aggressive with you, um, you have the right to defend yourself. So if you've been charged with a battery, and that battery stemmed from some type of of quarrel um, where you felt legitimately that you had to defend yourself and used physical force in doing so, um, it's important that you hire an attorney that will aggressively defend you and assert your right to self-defense in order to either uh, convince the prosecutor to drop the charges altogether or uh, to win your case uh, with a self-defense argument at trial. Another area where self-defense can come into play is with rela- in relation to battery domestic violence, a quarrel between, for example, a husband and a wife. Um, often, it's a neighbor that calls the police. The police come, they may hear arguing back and forth. In Nevada, most often it seems that law enforcement tends to arrest the, the person that got the worst of it. So that if somebody has a mark, the presumption is, well, the other party was the aggressor, the other party should be taken in. But it doesn't always work out that way. It could be that, uh, that the person that has the injury is the one that started the fight. And it's not always the man that, that does the battering. Sometimes, um, you know, a woman might throw something or a woman might swing at, punch her domestic partner. And the, the man might simply be responding or defending himself. In those situations, self-defense certainly may come into play. And an aggressive uh, defense attorney will assert that, uh, you were only you, you know, you were exercising your right to self, uh, to, to defend yourself, which is, which is perfectly lawful. I'm attorney Michael Becker with the Las Vegas defense group. If you or a loved one has been charged with a criminal offense in Las Vegas or throughout the state of Nevada, trust in me and my legal team to get your case dismissed, or otherwise negotiate a resolution that causes minimal harm to you in your future.
10: pretty complicated, pretty fast on you. There's rules and there's exceptions to the rules, but you're always driving to the sentencing table as we talked before, the criminal history category going one through six, and those little numbers in paren, 0 or 1, criminal history category 1, 2 or 3, and so forth, are criminal history points. They're not necessarily uh, the number of convictions. These are points that are uh, accumulated uh, via Chapter 4 under the criminal history rules. And you get these points based on uh, prior sentences, based on... Uh, defendant status also this idea of recency you just got out of prison fairly recently and you're sort of the defendants sort of back at it again we're saying you're going to get extra points the defense going to get extra points under this idea of recency and you'll see some types of offenses that are never counted for example foreign sentences uh, tribal court sentences uh, court martials, even juvenile status offenses for example now under the guidelines juvenile convictions are countable potentially but not juvenile status offenses you know possession of alcohol by a minor would be an example of a juvenile status offense and it works like this you get three points if the sentence is greater than 13 months two points if it's greater than 60 days or equal to 60 days up to 13 months and one point for all others and you'll see this time period so if you have a a three-pointer you got a two-year prison sentence it's a three-pointer you have a time period has to be within 15 years of the sentence you'll see a notation imposition or release what that means You you look at when that offense occurred and then count back 15 years. And if that prior sentence occurred within that 15 years, you're going to meet the requirements of that time period. If that prior sentence occurs before that 15-year period and the defendant got a prison sentence and was released within that 15-year time period, it's also countable okay these time periods are important to keep in mind so this is for prior f- offenses committed at 18 or older these are adult um, prior sentences and I, as I mentioned earlier you also count sentences that occurred before uh, age 18 and It's a little bit different here you get you get a three-pointer if uh, only if convicted as an adult and the sentence has to be greater than 13 months. And it's the time periods within 15 years of the sentence and position or release. A two pointer for greater or equal to 60 days up to 13 months. You have a time period there within five years. And a one pointer for all others. Now, there's some other important determinations you sort of have to be mindful of as you do the criminal history rules. And we can't point them all out for you. But the key ones, especially for you new folks, the key ones to be looking at is the relationship of prior sentences and uh, relevant conduct. Under 41.2A1, it says the term prior sentence means any sentence previously imposed upon adjudication of guilt for conduct not part of the instant offense. If you had a drug case, for example, where you had relevant conduct from a prior sentence being included in, in the current offense conduct, okay, you're going to include that in the offense and not count it as prior as a prior sentence. It gets a little complicated, but you know on that point. But the basic rule is if it's part of the instant offense, if you pulled that conduct out of a state sentence and put it into the, the current offense to do the guideline calculation, you're going to include it um, as, uh, you're not going to include it as a prior uh, sentence. The other point is uh, related prior cases. Related cases are treated as one sentence for purpose of the criminal history calculation on page 293 of the guidelines manual 41.2 a 2 says prior sentences imposed in unrelated cases are to be counted separately and prior sentences imposed in related cases are uh, treated as one sentence one sentence for purposes of uh, 41.1 if the defendant comes in Sent in a prior sentence, and there's two or three cases all sentenced on the same day, for example, they, they could be sort of grouped together, you know, into one sentence and, and have one set of criminal uh, history points for that uh, prior sentence. So, you want to be mindful to take a look at related cases. The other point Want to be mindful of or prior revocations of supervision. Sort of like the question: Well, how do how do the guidelines treat a, a prior sentence where there was also a, a probation sentence where
2: then the probation? A person's home is their castle, and it's a rare occasion that law enforcement is going to violate the sanctity of your home. But if law enforcement does knock at your door, you would ask them. Do you have a warrant? If they have a warrant signed by a judge, let them in. Law enforcement may also try to get your consent to search. They may step in when you open the door and say, we're going to search your home. At that point, you absolutely have the right to say, no, I need you to leave. You don't have my permission to search. The only circumstance that the police can come into your home without a warrant would be if there was an exigent circumstance such as a health and safety check if law enforcement had the reasonable belief that someone in your home might be injured or if they are in hot pursuit of a fleeing felon who just ran into your home. The bottom line is you have the right to be secure in your home and you have the right to say no to the police if they try to search your home without a warrant.
11: We're going to consider those things that occurred in avoiding detection or responsibility for the offense conviction. And those things may be occurring even after the offense conviction, but there's some attempt to avoid detection or responsibility. Still, temporarily, it's expanded a little bit, but there's still this nexus, this connection with our offensive conviction. Now, under A1, the who is going to be everything the defendant did. We have, uh, you know, a lot more legalistic type language. We say if the defendant committed an act or if the defendant aided an act or abetted it or counseled it, commanded it, induced it, procured it, willfully caused it. But basically, it's like, did the defendant do it? But we're also going to, in some instances, Look at the acts of others. Now, the acts of others we require a further analysis to occur, and this we refer to as our three-part analysis. First, you have to determine the scope of the defendant's jointly undertaken activity. And then you have to make the determination, well, these acts of others, were they in furtherance of this undertaking my defendant was engaged in? Would a reasonable person... Have foreseen that engaging in undertaking with other people, that they may have done these kinds of acts in furtherance of this undertaking. The defendant committed the robbery. Okay, so now we're asking about this the specific offense characteristics of chapter two consideration. We know A1 covers chapter two considerations. And the question is: was a firearm possessed? Well, the analysis is this. Act occurred during the offense of conviction. He possessed the gun during the offense of conviction. It was an act that was committed by the defendant. The defendant did it during the offense of conviction. It's relevant. Yes, when the guideline says give five offense level increase, you have relevant conduct of a firearm being possessed by the defendant. You give the five offense level increase. But say our defendant did rob this bank with others, and our defendant didn't carry the gun; the other guy carried the gun. When the offense level increases, give five levels if a firearm was possessed, is our defendant going to get that or not? The three-step analysis. Was our defendant engaged in jointly undertaking activity with this other person, and what was that scope? Well, the undertaking, undertaking that our defendant had was the robbery. Was this act of this other person, this act we're looking at, the carrying of the gun, was that in furtherance of this robbery? Hmm. He did pointed that the tellers did did seem to give money a lot more quickly when he did so. Seems to have been in furtherance of the undertaking. And then finally, would a reasonable person who has undertaken a robbery with someone else have foreseen that someone may have used a weapon during a crime of violence? And you have to answer that as well in the affirmative. If so, then even though it's an act of someone else, it is relevant conduct and being relevant conduct, the defendants held accountable for it. This defendant and that defendant, they robbed a bank together. Hmm, what was the scope of the conspiracy? Well, the scope of the conspiracy was to rob the bank. Sometimes the conspiracy and what the defendant has undertaken are mirror images of each other. They are one and the same, but that is not always the case. The scope of the criminal activity jointly undertaken by the defendant is not necessarily the same as the scope of the entire conspiracy. The examples would be uh, the defendant is, is convicted of a conspiracy count uh, and the conspiracy count has your defendant and a hundred other people engaged in a conspiracy to import drugs on a hundred different occasions into the country. Well, your defendant is criminally responsible, criminally liable for this conspiracy, having been convicted of it. But for sentencing purposes, we say, well, what this defendant undertook may not be the same as this entire conspiracy. And you have to look at the facts and say, well, this defendant's undertaking actually was the importation of drugs on three occasions. Out of those hundreds of importations, this defendant was engaged in three of those. You have narrowed down from this entire conspiracy the the undertaking of this particular defendant. Reason be foreseeable. Uh, We have that language about reason be foreseeable. Reason be foreseeable is the language in our three-step analysis, three-part analysis for holding the defendant accountable for the acts of others. As such, reasonable foreseeability applies only to the conduct of others it does not apply to the acts of the defendant. For instance, the defendant's convicted, say, of the conspiracy. And the act of the defendant in the conspiracy was the defendant brought in the bag of drugs that contained two kilos of heroin. Well, turns out, the defendant says, gosh, I had no idea I was bringing in heroin. I thought it was cocaine. And I didn't realize it was two kilos. It felt like about a kilo and a half to me, you know. And the question is, well, gee, would that have been reasonably foreseeable to the defendant that he was carrying heroin instead of cocaine and that it was two kilos instead of a half kilo? You don't even have to go there. Because if the defendant did it, and it occurred during the offense conviction, the defendant's responsible for that. So reasonable foreseeability isn't something we're looking at in regard to the acts of the defendant. That's when we're looking at the acts of others. And as we look at the acts of others, keep in mind it's only one part of the three-part analysis of looking at the acts of others. For instance, the defendant, out of these 100 importations, with these hundreds of people over this long period of time, undertook three of those importations.
2: First time failure to register in the state of Nevada as a sex offender is a category D felony carrying a prison term of up to four years. Failure to register for a second time or more in the state of Nevada is a category C felony, which carries a prison sentence of up to five years. Additionally, you can only request the district court to eliminate your requirement of registration if you have registered for 15 years consecutively. So failing to register would cause that time clock to start anew and delay your ability to seek to have the court end that requirement.
12: Hello, I'm Michael Castile, an attorney with the Las Vegas Defense Group. Other than the crime of murder, in Nevada, sexual assault is the most serious offense you can face in this state. If you are convicted, in addition to facing a lifelong prison term, you're also required to register for life as a sex offender. Even if eventually you are paroled, it may be difficult to land a job with this on your record. In Nevada, the legal definition of sexual assault, otherwise known as rape, is when a person subjects another person to penetration sexually against the will of the victim or under conditions in which the perpetrator knows or should know the victim is mentally or physically incapable of resisting. In short, it's illegal for you to have sex with someone against a person's will, or when you know or should have known the person lacked the capacity to say no or to understand what was happening. In some cases, where someone unlawfully touches another person in a sexual manner that falls short of sexual assault, such as groping, for example, he or she might be charged with the lesser Nevada crime of open and gross lewdness. In Nevada, even though rape is one of the most serious crimes you can be accused of, it also lends itself to several effective defenses. The following are some of the strategies a defense lawyer may employ in Nevada sexual assault cases. Number one, false accusations. Judges and prosecutors know that innocent people can be falsely accused of rape, whether it's out of anger, jealousy, revenge, a way to win child custody, or just an honest misunderstanding. If your attorney can raise a reasonable doubt by showing that someone may have falsely accused you, your sexual assault case should be dismissed. Number two, lack of proof. Unless there was a video recording of the incident, sexual assault can be extremely difficult to prove because it often comes down to a case of he says, she says. As long as the state cannot show guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, sexual assault charges should be dropped. And finally, number three, consent. Rape is forcing someone to have sex against their will or when they're too incapacitated to resist. Therefore, if your attorney can show that the victim gave his or her consent to have sex, the Nevada sexual assault charges cannot stand. If you or someone you know has been charged with sexual assault, Please don't hesitate to contact our law office at 702-DEFENSE to arrange for your free consultation or visit us at 702-DEFENSE.COM for more information. Thank you.
8: To facilitate the marketing, to YouTube, the TikTok and etc. right? It cost me 50,000 in expenses, which means that out of my 150,000 spent fifty. Now that means that I'm netting about 100,000, right? I'm netting 100 grand here. That's my my take home, okay? Now that I'm netting $100,000 here, now let's talk about the tax side. And by the way, this is a simple example. Again, simple. There's a lot of more, there's more variables that go into this. And that's why you wanna talk to a CPA or a tax professional or an attorney because I'm not gonna go into every variable here. I'm only gonna state the simple, the simpleness of it so you understand how this works, okay? Now, I'm netting 100K. Now that I'm netting 100K, guess who, guess who now wants their money, right? Uncle Sam, he's like, hey, I need my cut before you keep whatever's left. So now Uncle Sam comes into play, right? now that uncle sam is here the first thing that you have to pay when you have your llc and your tax as a sole proprietor right um first thing you're going to pay is self-employment tax now let's break down self-employment tax now normally if you just transitioned over from working um from working at a job and then you moved over into a business you probably saw that, that F-word, that FICA, right? You saw it on your paycheck, right? Every time you got your check from your employer. Now, normally when you were working at a, at a job, normally that, that FICA tax is split in half, right? So you pay half of the FICA tax, I believe 7.6%, and then the employer pays the other 7.6%, and from there... Now you pay half the employer pays half, but guess what? Since you're a sole proprietor and you're taking on the entire business, you have to pay the full. uh, You got to pay the full self-employment tax, aka the FICA tax, which is Medicare, Social Security. You got to pay 15.3 percent on your net. Okay, you pay the whole thing now as the entrepreneur, right? So if it's 15.3 percent that I got to pay on my 100 grand. That means that I got to cut a check for fifteen thousand three hundred dollars right off of my 100k right fifteen fifteen thousand three hundred that's a lot of money okay it's a lot of money now of course you know you still made money that's great but now we got to start lowering we got to start figuring out how to minimize our exposures but you pay fifteen thousand three hundred well $15,300 15300 on a monthly basis is $1,275 a month. And we were looking at it like having to write somebody a check every month. You're writing a check for $1,275 to the government, right? What, what could you be doing if that money was actually in flow? Like you kept that as cash flow to pay for advertising, marketing, and et cetera, right? But I got to write the check out for $15,300. Self-employment tax that I got to pay. Now, after I'm done paying self-employment tax, I'm not done there, right? Government got a lot of ways to be able to get into my pockets here. The next thing is federal and state taxes. Now, let's just take me for an example. On my personal, now on my personal tax return, right? On my tax return, let's say that my taxable income is $80,000 that, that, that's taxable income for that year. If my taxable income is 80 grand, let's just say I'm paying in total between federal and state. Oh, by the way, and I live in the city too, Philadelphia, They pay. I got to pay city tax, local tax, expensive. Now, on top of federal, state, let's say federal, state, local, I'm not even taking into account other type of taxes that are out there. Let's say it's around about 25% uh, 25 that I got to pay in tax on my taxable income. Well, if I'm paying 25% on my 80 grand of taxable income that I have, i got to push out another check for about $20,000, right? Now, that $20,000 is about $1,666 a month as another check that I gotta write to the government on top of my self-employment tax that I gotta pay. Okay? So when we think about that now, my self-employment tax and my federal, state, local, and other tax that could be out there that I gotta pay, now ultimately, overall, for that year, I had to write the government a check for $36,000, roughly, 36K, which comes out to be about $3,000 thousand dollars per month that I'm paying in taxes I mean I could think of a lot of ways that I could use the extra three thousand dollars to continue to grow my business right so when I think about that here this is why when I say you're not saving any money when it comes to taxes on the LLC you're literally not saving any money in the next part of this video I'm going to be talking about how you can save money by electing as an S-corp on how you can now save money on this piece right here. This is the part where people talk about, here's where you can save money. Most
2: juvenile conviction records will seal automatically as a matter of law in the state of Nevada when the individual reaches the age of 21. But on some more serious charges, especially those involving sex crimes, those records may not get sealed until an individual reaches the age of 30, at which time it's incumbent upon the individual to petition the courts for the sealing of the records. So if you have a juvenile conviction here in the state of Nevada, and you're not sure if your record has been sealed, call our offices. We'll give you a free consultation. We'll go over the facts of your case. We will be able to determine whether your record has been sealed. And if it hasn't been sealed, we can definitely file a petition for you to ask the court to seal your juvenile record.